0: This is uh, the Blarney Pilgrims. Yeah. The second of our two episodes recorded at the Banjo Jamboree in Guildford in central Victoria. Um, thanks again to the General Store in mm-hmm. Guildford uh, where we recorded today's interview with a uh, banjo player, guitar player uh, an incredible musician, Tony O'Rourke. So Dom, you'd, you'd probably recognise Cripple Creek now if I played for you. you? <laughs> uh, so it turns out Cripple Creek is probably, am I right in thinking that it would be the equivalent of the Sally Gardens. Well, so that's
1: what I was asking you because I, is that the Irish tune so that everyone sa- learns
0: first? I, I think Sally Gardens is one of those tunes that um, people learn when they're starting. Right, because right. I know the like Clawhammer banjo definitely, Scruggs style, They in banjo
1: world, it's, it's Cripple Creek and then the fiddle players also learn that right. too. So it's just like match made in heaven. It's, so it's always played. But it's placed.
0: interesting to think about what that is because So I was thinking about, I, I think I might have mentioned in a previous episode that there was a, there was a, a, a flute player in Seattle who I took a few lessons off and he said play me something that you that you know on the first lesson and I, I played the Sally Gardens and I was embarrassed to play it because it's such a commonplace tune and he said to me, he said that's don't be embarrassed to play it, he said think about what this tune is, it's one of the most beautiful tunes in the Hall of Irish Music, just think about the beauty of the tune. Mm. And forget about all that other shit. <laughs> no,
1: I was thinking, we'd heard it a lot over the weekend, and I kind of I felt the same way about that song. Cripple Creek. Yeah, obviously, I'll, I do enjoy uh, old time bluegrass much more than you, let's say. So when I heard it I repeated a lot, I kind of felt that little bit of, oh, there it is again. <laughs> Just another window for Dom to take the piss. But in thinking about it, Cripple Creek, that song for me, it's my, definitely my go to because it has every one of the major techniques. That I would use in Hammer. so all the all the pull-offs that I was use, all the slides, everything is in there. So I almost get to
0: practice my my bass repertoire by playing mm-hmm. that. Is
1: there like is there an Irish tune that has has sticked well, to in that?
0: so I I think in, for tunes in the key of G, like if I think about the Sally Gardens in the key of G, um, it's it's anchored around um like a low D, a G, a B. Um, and then same in the upper register, like it's it's basically the Gia appregio. Yeah, right. Right. So it so it makes sense that it would be one of those tunes that you learn early on, and and the for me anyway in that key, the the shapes of the ornamentation and stuff seem to flow really easily, whereas you know I. I in in relearning tunes, I've I find find that uh, tunes tunes in D, particularly reels in D, are a bit more challenging for me. I have right. to kind of get my head around them a wee bit more, and I I'm not quite sure whether it's probably Do you know who would not right today's guest. (laughs) (laughs) And quickly, before we go into Tony's interview, as ever, we wanted to say thanks to everybody who's gone to patreon.com forward slash Blarney Pilgrims and given us your support. If you haven't done that, uh, that's totally fine. But uh, what we're hoping to do is to to branch out and be able to interview players all over Australia, really. And for that to happen, we really need your support. So, of course, you can listen for free. But if you really want this uh, podcast to thrive and you really... um, I don't know if you if you believe in in what we're doing, and part of what we're doing is actually capturing a moment in Australia where these players are existing and and are playing the music, and I think that's really worthwhile. So, and we are
1: very aware of the the wealth of amazing players up and down all throughout
0: the country. So Patreon dot com forward slash Blarney Pilgrims. It's only two bucks an episode, and um, that would be great. All and right, it's
1: a bit of a long intro. Should we get into it?
0: Let's go. Thank you for joining us on the Blarney Pilgrims podcast.
2: Thanks very much, uh, Dominic. It's it's a pleasure to be here. what was what was uh, what were that set of tunes? There was a couple of tunes there. Um, so the the first one uh, was a tune called the Swallow's Swallow Tales, uh or just the Swallow Tale. It it may have been written by John McFadden. Uh, then the, the next question is who's John McFadden? John McFadden was one of the Main sources of tunes for the the O'Neills books.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: He he was born I think in eighteen forty seven, and moved to Chicago when he was about thirteen, and <clears throat> he composed a lot of tunes. He died in nineteen thirteen, so he never got the recognition that that people like uh, Morrison, and and and, and Paddy Colloren and, and Michael Coleman got because he died. Ten or so years just before the advent of, of recorded music, yeah. there's some people say he wrote it, and some people say he never wrote it. That was the first tune, and the second tune I I know the second tune is John Norquen's, so might might be a, a clear tune. I'm not not too sure so
0: just for for listeners uh who aren't necessarily don't have a big background in this um or the me. the o'neils or or Darren, <laughs> or me actually uh, the the O'Neils, the O'Neils books with the, uh, with the collections of uh transcribed irish music that were published sort of at the the beginning of the 20th century right in in the states yeah f- compiled by francis C- O'Neill yes who hmm. was the was he the chief of police in chicago of police. Or yeah something like that? Yep. yeah um, um I heard I heard a story that he used to he used to kind of recruit people into the from Ireland into the Chicago Police Force so that he could then get the tunes off them. You're kidding. And they could just go and they could yeah. just go and play they, do whatever they want. It, it, it,
2: it may be said that the Chicago police force, uh, in terms of the numbers of Irish people that were employed, it was out of all proportion to their actual numbers in the city of Chicago. Um so, Sergeant Early was another one, um, and Patsy Toohey. Right. It, it's not a subject that I know a great deal about, but John McFadden, I tell you, um, he was from um, near Newport in, in County Mayo, and I didn't particularly, there's a few tunes, it was McFadden's Handsome Daughter, and McFadden's Favourite. And I didn't take much notice of him and then uh, I came across an article written by uh, a chap called Dr Brian Lennon who I, th- I think he might be Ben Lennon's son and he listed all these tunes and that, that McFadden had composed The Humours of Westport um, the, the Pleasures of, of Hope and uh, I, it was then it dawned on me that I'd been playing these tunes for years not, not realising they were composed by McFadden and learning a little bit about him, and of course realizing that um, he history hasn't been kind to him because, as I say, he died, you know, ten or so years before the recording. There, there are two recordings on the internet of him playing, but they're both on wax cylinders. the The sound quality is very, very ordinary, but you can hear the play. He he was just like Coleman. I mean, he was. He was a fantastic fiddle player, but unfortunately, just uh, the wrong side. Just too early. Ten, yeah. ten years. Yeah. Another ten years and we would have had a, a recording of him. He was a fantastic musician.
0: So what was your first contact with Irish music as a player? Like, when did you start playing?
2: Well, you see, I grew up in, in Melbourne and I grew up on the the music of such great Irish musicians as Jimi Hendrix and Eric Clapton and Carlos Santana and that, that was my upbringing and then I, I started learning guitar and I learned to play these uh, the, that, that sort of uh, music to some degree and then uh, I, I got into jazz music, jazz guitar. I, I heard this fella called George Barnes and he was playing this stuff on guitar. I'd never heard a guitar ever sound like this George Barnes. So I, I got into that and then I, I go I went through all the jazz and I, I saw somebody um, finger picking, playing a ragtime guitar and I got into that. And I I, I just, you know, I was like a, a kid in a lolly shop. I just any great music, you know. So I, did I, you start young? Did you start very young? I, I was fourteen. Yeah, right. So, which is not, not that young. No, but you it's- can't you can't play guitar, you know, before you're ten. It's 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 too big. Um and I, I played jazz, I studied jazz guitar with a, a great teacher we had in Melbourne. We were very lucky in Melbourne, we had this, this teacher called Bruce Clark and I went to Bruce, I went to the Bruce Clark Guitar Workshop it was called, I went there for, for five years and I learned all my music there, like the theory and reading, but also playing by ear. People say, do you play by ear or do you read? And I say, yes, I, I don't consider the two mutually exclusive. And then I, I, I don't know, I always had this love of acoustic instruments. And I said to Bruce one day, uh, Do you know any good acoustic guitar players? And he, Bruce was was one eyed jazz guitar player. But he, he said, Oh, look, he said, There's a fella in America, his name is Norman Blake. And he he said, you might, you might find him. Well, of course, I I bought one Norman Blake record and Norman's got a wife, Nancy, she plays the cello and Norman Blake plays the guitar and the mandolin and he plays beautiful old time fiddle with the cello and he writes songs and I got into this, Norman Blake, I just sat there for a couple of months playing along with his records, learning his songs, um, learning this thing called flat picking and then I got into fiddle tunes, and I started listening. I, I, I listened to Simon St-Pierre, French-Canadian, fiddle by Jean on, and then I, I got a, came across this group uh, called, I, I think the correct pronunciation, certainly in the West, is G. Dannon. Uh, Frankie Gavin was in there. And um, I thought, geez, this is, this is interesting. And I, I fell in love with this sort of music, and I got into that, and I started attending <clears throat> some of the Irish music sessions in Melbourne. Which uh, and when are
0: we talking about? This the was '83. '83, right? '83. I, right.
2: I got the Norman Blake. I, I, I got the Norman Blake record in about '81, and so I went on this uh, the Norman Blake, and
1: Doc Watson. And what kind of what kind of? Um, life trajectory? You Like, are you out of your 10 years or are you into your 20s by this stage?
2: I would have been, uh, in 1983, I would have been 23, 24. Yeah, okay. And I started attending the Irish music sessions and of course, um, because I'd been trained in jazz guitar, which is a very unusual background for somebody that plays traditional Irish music, I was quite... uh, I picked up the backing chords quite easily for the uh for the tunes that were being played so you know within 6 months I I kind of picked up a large amount of of tunes that I could back not not physically play and then at some stage I I, I started mucking around on a a tenor banjo mm-hmm but I, I was very, very, very lucky. In 1983, I, as I say, I'd been attending these sessions, and there and was where a, were these sessions happening? These just were so mostly know. at the Dan O'Connell Hotel right. in Melbourne, which I might might just mention as an aside is has nothing to do with the Daniel O'Connell, the Home Ruler. It's I think Dan O'Connell might have been a local dairy farmer. You're kidding, I
1: actually. Hadn't known that, I would have presumed.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it wasn't awesome. Daniel O'Connell, the home ruler. <clears throat> At some stage, some months down the track, there, there was a, a couple of guys came out from, uh, as it was then, London. Now, one of them was, was a Clare man, Brendan Mulcair. Uh, just a, a towering, he wasn't, he wasn't a big man, but you, he, he was like a giant, this guy. He, he, he was a teacher. Great musician, um, give you the, the the language, the Irish language, and the the history and the politics and everything. And if you if you hang around like five in the morning, as we regularly did, he'd, he'd start on mathematics. He was a professor of mathematics as well. And he came out, and he brought along with him a a, a young up and coming banjo player who'd just won the senior All Ireland banjo title the year before, a young fella called John Carty, You see. So they came to Melbourne, and they met this... Uh, we have a wonderful accordion player in Melbourne, a family of them, a guy called Joe Fitzgerald, and they got together, the three of them. And uh, the the chap that organised the, the tour, and they were doing a, a couple of weeks of concerts and dances and workshops, uh, a guy called Jamie McHugh, who was... Uh, he ran the Port Ferry... Folk festival for, for many many years, Doctor Doctor Jamie Mccotter. I think he's a medical doctor. Anyway, um, he he just he walked up to me in the pub one night, just sort of matter-of-factly, and he he said to me, um, he said, uh, "Oh, listen, uh, these guys are looking for someone to back them up. Uh, would you would you be able to play guitar for them?" I couldn't. I looked at him, I thought, is this guy for real? And I said, oh, yes, you know, I'd love to, you know. So for the next two weeks, I sat next on stage. I sat next to John Carty. And I was was backing him up. And do you know, now this is the incredible thing. This is where I say I, I was very, very lucky. The first time I ever played Irish music... In an Irish band, was Joe Fitzgerald, Brendan Mulcair, and John Carty.
0: Where can you go from there? <laughs> and what was what was Brendan Mulcair playing? Just for listeners who don't.
2: Brendan played mostly fiddle. Right. He was competent enough to teach on the button accordion. And like so many Irish musicians, I, I didn't realise this at the time, but just about everybody in Ireland plays tin whistle. He um, teach that. He, he, I think he taught a little bit of flute, but he was he was a fiddle player. Uh, John was just the, the. I I I was you know when I was young I I was, did a lot of stupid things, but I I was never stupid enough to get into drugs. But but the effect that John Cardi's music had on my brain was, I imagine, the same sort of effect that people that take hallucinogenic drugs because i i'd walk out of a night of playing next to that guy and i'd be i'd have tunes in me head the whole you could have sent hitler himself here i i wouldn't have noticed i was walking around in a daze i had these tunes not not just the tunes but the way that he bent them around and he he changed them and and um so that was my first experience with Irish music and I sort of thought, yeah, oh, this, is, this is all right. I can, I can do this. So um, I, I started on the banjo. And the, the first tunes I ever learnt, I, I learnt them as a set. There was an album released by Noel Hill and Tony Lane and they had a, a, just the exquisite backing of, of Alec Finn. Which we've we've never been fortunate in Melbourne to have someone like that, but Alec Finn played Bazooki. beautiful, beautiful backing, and they played these two tunes, and they listed the tunes on the album as Daniel O'Connell, the Home Ruler, and Kitty's Wedding. There were two hornpipes. It was only many many years later that I found out that the Home Ruler had nothing to do with Daniel O'Connell this was a tune that was written by a chap from I think he's from Fermanagh and I I presume he's a unionist his name was Frank McCollum Uh, he may have even been a a grand master of one of the lodges up there he wrote the tune and he called it the home ruler as a dedication to his wife (laughs) (laughs) which I thought was was great so after that I I knew the tune I learnt those two tunes the home ruler and uh, Daniel O'Connell.
0: Do you want to do you, you want to play those for us? I could. I, know. I could,
2: could uh, do play them. Yeah. Uh, they're hornpipes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I hope they sound better today than they did uh, thirty-five years, forty years ago. Um, so th- this is the the home ruler, and then uh, Kitty's wedding.
1: I wanted to ask you about your family and the reason I want to ask is because you've seemed to have you took to music very quickly and I'm trying to figure out would that be because you come from a musical background or are you just quite an obsessive player did, did, like did, so did you have a musical family or a musical upbringing
2: this is a very uh, it's, it's a very involved answer that I will give you and, and I'll, I'll give you the answer and I wouldn't want people to, um, when I give the answer, I wouldn't want people to in any way um, feel pity for what happened in, in my uh, situation. Um, my mother died when I was about uh, six years old. She was asthmatic and she had an asthma attack and she, she died. And uh, when I was about, uh, well, six or seven years old, um, I I didn't realise it at the time. But I started listening to music. You see, I I was brought up, uh, again, a a very unusual situation for an Irish musician. I was brought up on billiards, cricket, and football, Australian rules football. That was my culture. Um, my father was a, a singer, um, but, but not of, uh, there was no connection. We've been out here five generations, and so whatever connections we had from Ireland were long gone. Um, and uh, after my, my mother had died, and I didn't realise this at the time, of course, because I was only six or seven years old, but I started listening to a lot of music, and I was deep. People are going to find this incredible. I was deeply moved by melody, even even bands like, um, you know, "Daydream Believer" by the Monkees, uh, written by Neil Diamond, but performed by the Monkees. People are going to find this hard to believe. But the melody, it touched me very deeply. And I, I suspected what had happened was that uh, after the the death of my mother, that. The music came as a sort of a, an emotional. I was emotionally attached, if you like, to music, um, and so that that sort of led me to to get into music. And I think you know, looking back on it, it, it explains why I can I can just as easy go and listen to a night of, of Joe Burke or, or Frankie Gavin, as I could listening to john williams playing guitar or julian bream playing 16th century music on the lute yeah uh, my one of my favorite musicians is a guy called ruby braff ruby braff was a cornet player he, he played jazz but i i find his music is just uh you know i i just love it so where were you getting the music from we so you record team, players yeah so as he you-
1: sort of was music in the house or is this more direct? record
2: player in the house and then when I was 14 I got a guitar and I just um, went into what was for me my culture and my culture was Jimi Hendrix and yeah. um, Eric Clapton Carlos Santana Alvin Lee
1: so are you straight into trying to replicate the Clapton's and the, the Hendrix well or
2: the- I sort of I'd listen to their records and I'd learn the the licks and the 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 notes, the lead breaks, and then um, I started to just playing lead guitar. And um, I didn't, uh, you know, I I just sort of that was it. I was I was a musician, even even when I was a beginner. I just thought, oh well, I'm I'm a musician.
1: Yeah, know? I I'm, I kind of I think I probably was interested in that because. That, you've, you've gone after a particularly difficult, like you, the people that you named there, like, the even the Hendrixes and the Captains, mm-hmm. the, the top of the game, very technical players, and then you went after you went into jazz, and then to be playing tenor banjo. It's a very technical,
2: it takes oh, a lot of... well, you see, I, I can ruin that theory because I also love Bob Dylan. <laughs> right. And Bob Dylan is, Bob Dylan, he's not a great, he's never going to get a booking as a guitar player. Mm-hmm. And he, he's, he's not got a great voice. He's not going to get a job in the choir, let's be honest. And and half the time, most of the time, you can't understand what his lyrics mean. And yet, when you put the three of them together, I mean, Blood on the Tracks, geez, that, that's one of the greatest albums ever done. I, I don't even understand what it's all about. But I, I played that album, I, I went through needles on the record player uh, just plying along with that album and uh, um, a lot, like any any music that's good.
0: Do you know the very beginning of that, um, the very beginning of Blood in the Tracks, um, Tangled Up in Blue, those opening yes. bars of Tangled Up and Blue, I was thinking about that the other day because I was thinking about, you know the drone you get when the pipes start? Right. And you kind of have this feeling of like, okay, there's something big about to happen. Yeah. And I get that same feeling. Those first bars of Tangled Up in Blue, first track, side one, mm-hmm. blood in the tracks, you just know, we're in pay attention, sit up, here it comes, you know, something big is coming. That din, din, well, din, well, of course,
2: uh, this is a technical point, of course, Tangled Up in Blue is also written in the Mixolydian mode, which is, is used quite a lot in, in Irish music. So um, songs such as The, the, the Little Beggar Man, she moved through the fair, and of course, all the great reels. Um, uh, um, Paddy O'Brien, the, the the person who introduced the B.C. system of accordions into Irish music, wrote a, a wonderful reel called the Penny Candle in the Mixolydian mode. Johnny Allen, a lot of Finbar Dwyer's music was in the Mixolydian mode, as was Tangled Up in Blue. For, no. me,
1: for me, you know what I'm going to ask you. Mixolydian. Can anyone just give a quick explanation? Oh, well, like would I'm
0: fine. It, it would be Tony, not me. Right.
1: I so what, what am I? What am I thinking about? If you, if I'm thinking about Mixolydian.
2: If you're in the A D Mixolydian mode, and you you try and play a, a D major scale, mm-hmm. yeah, um, sure, so. you will find that you're not going to have a very good experience. So the the, the major scale. mixolydian scale that 7th note is flattened so it tunes in the mixolydian mode now if that was in the major scale it would be here it doesn't doesn't make sense most, not all, but most of the Irish minor tunes are in a type of a minor scale that's called the Dorian mode. So, you know, things like uh, Pigeon on the Gate and, and Coolie's Reel and, and the, the Molly Bourne, um, Scatter the Mud, the, all those tunes are in this, this Dorian mode. Um, and there are some Irish tunes that are in the, the um, natural minor. A lot of B minor tunes for some reason are in the actual natural B minor. But a lot of A minor tunes, they're not in the natural minor scale, they're in the Dorian mode. And then you've got the the tunes that are in the mixolydian mode. Um, You hear that? So it's got the, instead of it's it's got the F natural rather than the F sharp
1: and this aspect of, like this this part of of music the theory is that something that you self thought or did you study it
2: oh, I studied it this is when you we sort, sort it out yeah yeah uh, and the thing is that um, when I was learning this theory um, I, I didn't realise when I was learning it that this would it'd come in handy later on, um, especially I I teach music and it's helpful for that and um, I I write music, I write books, I've published a number of books on music. Um, But as with so many things in regard to Ireland, there's a lot of paradoxes and three of the greatest musicians i've i've spent a long long time playing with um, in melbourne uh, one of them was a a galway man called billy moran and billy played the uh, well he, when i first met billy he played the the three row button accordion um and he wasn't a, a big man So, you know, as the years went by, the weight of the three-row accordion was too much for him, and he ended up playing the the two-row. And I played with the, the Fitzgerald brothers, many, many great nights of music. And I learned a lot of music, an awful lot of music off those people. In Billy's case, it was actually too, I got a lot of music off his wife. She made up a whole bunch of tapes for me. And, of course, when I got a tape, I'd listen to it and I'd transcribe. I used to sit there and transcribe it all by hand. This was in the days before the internet. So I had a, a fountain pen and I, I used to transcribe it. And, uh, and, of course, if you made a mistake, you had to use the um, the, the whiteout. White which, which it's, it's funny, isn't isn't it funny how things work? I mentioned before about listening to the monkeys. Mm-hmm. The, the person who invented the whiteout was Mike Nesmith's mother. Mike Nesmith from The Monkees. His mother invented whiteout, (laughs) you see? And um, so I got a lot of music off those guys and not one of them could read music. But um, to play it, unbelievable.
0: So when you have that level of um, technical knowledge about the the theory... um, does it affect how you feel about the music when you're when you're playing it? Do you know what I mean? Are, um, are, you, are you consciously thinking, for instance, when you're putting tunes together, you're making a little bracket of tunes, you kind of think, I'm going to go into this because it's, it's got a... I mean, I would think of it like, I'm going into this next tune because it's got a bit of a different feel and it gives the whole thing a, a, a lift. But I'm not thinking about it in those technical terms that you have, you know what I mean?
2: I would say that if... If you have a a good understanding of music theory, all it means—well, maybe not all it means—but it it means that you're easily able to explain yourself. So I might say, for instance, um, I I like to play. Say I like to play a jig in G that starts on G, and then for the next tune in the set I might go to a jig in G that starts on the third now people that don't read music or understand theory they say what's he talking about well I I could then demonstrate but if you understand theory if I heard somebody saying that I'd say oh yes I see what he means it just makes it easier Um, uh, I've heard people or I've seen people I'm not going to name it um, that had An encyclopaedic knowledge of music, and I, I wouldn't bother to go and see them if they were across the road. They're they're, they're not great players at all. I say, you know, Billy, Billy and Joe and Paddy. You know, uh, I tell you a funny story about Joe. Now, there we were in the pub one night. It was the Normandy Hotel, as it was in those days in in Clifton Hill. Just it was actually just down the road from the where the the Hoddle Street. Massacre happened. And this fella came in. He was a, a large fella. And he had a very booming voice. And, and straight away... You, you know how we talk. Well, this guy had a booming voice. I thought, this guy's he's a singer. And he had a little satchel under his arm. I thought, this bloke... Straight away, I thought, this bloke is a trained singer. And the satchel under his arm. All those trained singers. They carry their sheet music in there, you see. So... He, he was at the session and he could hear Joe play you know, he just sort of looked at Joe and said oh uh, could you back me up on a tune you know and Joe said oh yes, yes so this fella pulls out this sheet music of this this Irish song and of course Joe looks at me you know <laughs> and uh, the, the fella puts the the sheet music right in front of Joe, and Joe looks at me, and Joe knew the song, you see, but he he didn't know what key it was in. He said, what key is this in? I said, oh, that's, uh," I did a bit of my old jazz vernacular, I said, one flat, Joe, you'll be right. He had no idea, (laughs) he said, what key is that in? I said, one flat, I said, that's F. He said, where do I find that? He had no idea. See. so I spoke to Joe in his language I said you know that tune we play we play this reel called the plough and the stars I said you know the plough and the stars he said yes 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 I said it's the same the same key as that oh and then he played You know, he started playing <laughs> and he played and I, to this day I reckon that fella he probably thinks Joe is the best sight reader he's ever seen he didn't he didn't know anything about the, the written music. But he's a man now. If you if you book Joe, you say I want you to do an, a demonstrate an hour on the styles of of, of accordion playing of Finn And then he could do an hour of Paddy O'Brien. And then we say, Oh Joe, we've got a dance on, can you play? He could play for the dance for three. Billy and Paddy are like that. You know? They could play um till the cows come home. And they could play better than any of these people with... with A degree in, in music means that you're very good at reading it, at explaining it, at at documenting it, at writing, at transcribing, transposing. means you have all those skills. That's a degree in music. Now, playing... That, eh? When I meet a musician, like my teacher said, you know, when he meets a musician, me a tune, and he used to sit back in his chair and you had to play a tune he'd be surprised how many people that can't actually do that with with a, an instrument you say to these guys the fitzies or billy play me a tune oh yeah what what do you want a jig yeah that'll do what key do you want? You want it on the outside right or the inside right? It will take you half an hour the and then they'd play. Yeah. And then, you know, that that was the, the uh, that's when the race started and, mm-hmm. and it was just, it was, um, I was very lucky that we had, you know, uh, musicians of such quality for for which to um, get tunes. I used to tape them and, and get tunes off them and all that. Um, that's how I learnt about Irish music. I never had anyone. Uh, there's a fella up here now, he's up in Malden, he's, he's a fiddle teacher, but he played banjo. His name's Sean Cannon. Sean showed me what a triplet was on the banjo, and that was it. That was the only. I never had a lesson on the banjo. I never had a lesson on the mandolin or the bazooki, but I had five years on the guitar. And I, I'll tell you what it's like it's like somebody who learns to become a snooker player and then. They decide they want to play billiards, different, different set of balls, but y- y- physically. And then they decide they want to play pool, and then they decide they want to play nine ball. Yeah. So they don't have to relearn everything.
1: You've done so much of the muscle memory and those That's th- true. neurons are, are strong for that. You're, you're adapted to it. Is I that mean, a, it
2: C, is? a C major scale on a guitar is the same as a C major scale on a, a trumpet or a piano once you've learned you, the physical side of things is very different I know that but I've got an accordion at home I've got I play I play three tunes on it <laughs> two, two polkas and a waltz uh, very very different to the guitar but I I could explain this is getting back to about learning about music I can explain everything on the accordion about all the notes and all the sharps and everything like that the only thing I can't do is play the thing, you see, so that that's that's where the, the the advantage is if you've got that background in music theory, and of course with writing music, I can transcribe music um, very well, and uh, that for a music teacher I find that um, good. It does open up some avenues, you know, if if somebody. Particularly in in a band where the music is not really simple, and they say, "Oh look, we we need somebody to play this music. Can you play this?" And they give you some cheap music and they say, "Oh yeah, I can, I can. Maybe not sight read it, but I can take it away and and learn." Whereas if you can't read music, you say, "Well look, I, I that's no good to me. Can you make a recording?" So you know there there are ways around it, but. Uh, Learning the theory and that I, I would say it's it's just helped me on the non-playing side of things. It it's made my life much much easier. But playing, if you want to play music, you've got to sit there for for hours and hours to play. Technically, Irish music is is quite demanding, particularly in the right hand for your picking, or you know, if your fiddle play in the bowing. You know, it's 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 quite a an art form, and you're not going to get it if you do 10, 10, 10 or twenty minutes practice yeah. every day.
0: You know that's funny because um, somebody was saying to us about uh, learning a tune can be a very solitary experience. You know, because you're especially if you're listening to somebody else's playing on a recording, and then you're trying to figure out what it is, and you're, you know, you're on your own doing that. You know, it's yeah. sort of um, there's a lot of time on your own just working your way through phrases and things.
2: Yep. Yeah, so yeah, a lot of those. You know, um, sports people.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah, Greg, Greg
2: Norman. He he was one of our great uh, great golfers, and um, uh, I've got a I've got a book on him, and there's a, a photo of him. At the, I can't remember it's a Royal Queensland Golf Club or one of those. They banned him now, not not because of any misbehaviour. He he destroyed the tee. He used to turn up at eight o'clock in the morning and start. He all he did was hit balls. All day long, and he ruined. There's it. no grass there, <laughs> and they say, you can't, you can't do that.
1: I do get annoyed when people say when people call other people talented often, and they say, "Just he's so talented, he's so talented." And mm-hmm. I you think the talent is the real talent is fucking. Oh, excuse me, but the real talent is showing up and practicing. That's the real there, talent. There, there, there is,
0: but there has to be some. There's
2: also some kind of aptitude there, right? I I would say my own case of this is perhaps for others to judge but i would say i have a i have an aptitude for music
0: yeah,
2: yeah. and and I'll, I'll contrast that with something else like uh, motor cars and engines i haven't got a, a clue about them i, I don't have the aptitude Pe- people will you know i get, get a mechanic and he He'll show me like the, the the part where the pistons go. and he's, He'll say to me, oh, oh, you see, that's all worn out. Well, Is I don't, it? No, I don't <laughs> know. If you say it's worn out, it's worn out. To me, it looks fine. Yeah. I've got no aptitude for that. And yet for music and, and certainly for, for some sports, I, I had an aptitude.
1: It sounds um, like you put in the hard yards too, though.
2: Painting. Yeah. You know, art. I've absolutely got no idea... I'd, I'd, be, I'd be hard pushed to, to draw a picture of a yeah. brick wall. Yeah.
0: You now, no, you, uh, you mentioned guitar there, and you play a lot of guitar, and you teach guitar. So do you want to play a couple of tunes
2: that you... Yes, I'll, I'll wanted to play. get my guitar. I'm one of these unusual characters that, uh, that plays tunes on the guitar. And uh, <clears throat> it's happened quite a few times in Ireland where I've I've had the guitar at a, a session and I've been playing a, accompaniment at, at uh, various sessions. And uh, halfway through, the somebody will say say to me, you know, as they do, with, "Oh, do you sing?" And I'll uh, say, "Well, well I, I do sing." Um, but I, I think you'd be better off listening to me playing a, a tune. I, I do have another um, life as a guitar player, and perhaps we'll talk about that um, later on. But I'll I'd love to play you some some tunes on the guitar. Uh, this is a um, now that the guitar I must say is is tuned to standard tuning, not not the uh, the common Dadgad tuning that a lot of Irish guitar players. Uh, use this is standard tuning, and uh, the first tune is a jig called the Repeal of the Union, and not to be confused with the reel of the same name. And I learnt this uh, tune off a remarkable uh, musician uh, from from Connemara, and his name is Johnny Connolly. And Johnny Connolly. It's a melodion player, right? That's right. Despite what you hear on the record, you, you'd swear it's a button accordion. He actually plays a little single row melodion. Um And I, I, I once said about Johnny Connolly, and I, nothing over the years has changed my opinion, he is the only person in Ireland who doesn't realise what a genius he is. He's, he's just the most humble man. But... Um, he's he's versions of tunes you know us smart aleck musicians we'd all be overjoyed if if one of our versions of a tune could be considered the yardstick he's done albums where every tune on there is has been the yardstick amazing musician um so i learnt that that tune off him And, and funnily enough it's it's Quite a simple tune, it was just a, a, a beautiful jig. The second tune, I, I composed myself. And uh, when my first trip to Ireland, I uh, was at the Flarky Olna Heron in uh, Balanar in County Mayo. And I walked into a, a bar there. It's no longer there now, it was a bar called Timmy's Bar. And there was about six or seven people there playing music. Very laid-back sort of music, and it just captured me. It was the most beautiful music, and I uh, I walked over there with my guitar and my banjo, Australian accent, and there was a lady there. I said, "Do you mind if I join in?" And I guess she was probably thinking, "Oh, you know, another one of these thrashes or something." And I sat down, and nobody nobody took much. Notice of me, and I don't know. They they must have started a set of tunes that I knew, and there was a fellow there on the button accordion whose name was Jim Connolly, and I started joining in, and the the place just went dead quiet, and it was it was a musical love at first sight. And we just played there. And I'll never forget the first words that this fella ever spoke to me. He leaned over and he, he shook my hand and he, he's got a big, deep voice. He said, Jim Connolly's the name. And I said, Tony O'Rourke. He said, where are you from? And uh, I said, I'm from Melbourne and uh, he uh, well I, I won't use the exact words that he, he used next but it was very complimentary of my banjo playing and uh, we became great friends over the years and I, I must say uh, the hospitality that I've uh, received from Jim and, and his, his wife it's, um, it's uh, something to behold <laughs>
0: That's you know what's fascinating there watching you there is um, just for for listeners to so know you're playing those in D sharp so you have got a capo on the third fret and you're playing them sort of in a in a C shape a C major chord shape and your hand doesn't move from that C major chord shape anybody who plays a C chord in the guitar I mean you're you're sitting there and just the tune is constructed around that you're not moving up even a single fret hardly it's it's really it's really interesting to watch it's mm. lovely. Really,
2: I suppose when you compose a tune, you, you you have the, um, the choice when you're composing it to select the key. Now you see the first tune there, the repeal of the union. That's normally played in. I, I did see an old transcription of that in the key of G. Johnny Connolly, I I'm think he plays it on a D melodian. Uh on the guitar, a lot of a lot of the D tunes, I actually play in C shapes, and certainly a lot most of the A tunes, I play in G shapes with the capo on the second fret. Whereas on the banjo, um,
0: and just, that's cause, but that's because it's easier to reach. It's easier to reach the melody. It's it's, more it's workable. easier to
2: play in in yeah. Yeah, it's easier oh, yeah. to play in yeah. G. Even, as I said before, I play other styles of music. I play bluegrass music. And in bluegrass music, a lot of the A tunes, it's it's probably a more common key in bluegrass, a lot of the A tunes in bluegrass, I play in G shapes with the capo on the second fret. But then in bluegrass, you you don't have sets of tunes, so so you, you don't have to worry about moving the capo. You know, If you're playing one tune in C and one in D and one in G... Uh, that doesn't happen in bluegrass you tend to play one tune and different people take different breaks and so on it's a different uh, uh, it's a different set of rules same same, kind of idea very closely related you know all those music like, like Irish music Scottish music um, French Canadian old timey bluegrass music they're all kind of in the same way that, that it, it, people that speak English from London, it's it's pretty much basically the same language that people speak it in California or, uh, you know, Kentucky or Carolina or Melbourne. But it's it's still different. In the, it. the
1: key changes that throws me from someone going from the bluegrass old-time world into Irish, that's the bit. That was my first tripping hazard because I, I'd learnt the old-time way on bluegrass way where you're gonna you stay in that key and everyone's taking their breaks but yeah that, that threw me when I started going in for a set and I'm let's say it's a g-tune I'm cracking along I'm like I'm all right here yeah, I'm I'm on the horse the next minute it changes and I'm going oh, I'm just playing out of a and I'm not used to those chord shapes because you don't you get lazy with a capo so you don't play as often anyway that's my uh
0: mm. <laughs> so you you do a lot of did you want to talk about teaching and more a podcast,
1: yeah, so you, you run a podcast that, um, out of Melbourne, centred on playing Irish guitar, is
2: that correct? Yeah, so um, my business partner at the time uh, was a, a chap uh, originally from Dublin uh, called Jerry Gaffney. And um, uh, he asked me, he was actually a student of mine, guitar student. But Jerry uh, came up to me one day. He said, "How would you like to do a podcast?" I said, "Well, I'm not, I'm not sure. What's, what's a podcast? You know,
1: it sounds beautiful. And it's that, a beautifully recorded podcast."
2: Well, I would I would select the music, and I would write the music out, and then I would kind of write out descriptions of what we were trying to get across to people. And if I was talking about something that he didn't know I had to explain it so that it became clear to him and if it wasn't clear to him then I had to rethink how I was explaining it well,
1: uh, what's the, so for people that would be interested in they've playing and they want to track down the podcast because i'll ask you about your books in a second where should they what should they look for and where where is the best place to get it from well
2: the the podcast it's it's just www.irishguitarpod.com
1: so just the the other thing i do want to touch on before we wrap up is so you've got a number of books available as well and do people get them from your website or is that where, where, you can where buy digital
2: then? copies of the books from from our website for, for some of the books. There's a chord dictionary, My Island volumes one and two, and O flat picking, which is a book about playing guitar. Is that from the same website? if people are t- to actually get the, the they digital
1: they can get computer? that book.
2: That that book is called O flat picking. It's it's only for guitar players. Yeah, um, but they can download a digital version of the book. From the website. Brilliant.
0: So, so do you want to just um, um, do you want to finish off? Your choice, whether it's banjo or guitar.
2: I'm, I'm going to play you a, a tune on, on the guitar. This is a tune I wrote myself. And um, it was a tune called The Town of Urien Quinty. It was uh, de- dedicated to an old friend of mine. But uh, the tune holds particular memories for me. But we had a great music teacher here in South Australia for many years. And um, his name was Tim Whelan. And I, I played this tune at the Port Ferry Folk Festival in 1986. And I I was greatly honoured to win the Tim Whelan uh, Tune Writing Award. And Tim was a great, great Irish musician. He was a friend of Billy Moran. And uh, he... Uh, he was the judge, he was the sole, uh, let's say, a benevolent dictator, sort of, so to speak, and he was the judge, and uh, he, I was greatly honoured by the fact that a man of his um, standing uh, saw fit to tell me that he thought, for that year, uh, that this churn was the, 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 the churn that he loved the most. So it's a, t- a churn called The Town of Urin Quinty, Euron uh, Quinty is a town they have a little folk festival up there it's it's about 10 miles from the city of Wagga Wagga in uh, southern New South Wales. Mm -hmm.
0: To all Tony's teaching materials and his Irish guitar picking pod um, by going to blarneypilgrims.com. And thanks again, Tony, for taking the time to talk to us. That was really that was really great. Yeah,
1: it it is really nice when someone offers to give us time, particularly during a um, a festival, because time is of such a, a such a, a finite resource when you're out at one of those things. And there's you don't get to pick with that many people that often. So to take an hour or two out
0: is a uh, we really absolutely appreciate it so thanks for that thanks um, again to the to the general store in Guilford for uh, giving us the space to record in that was fantastic and thanks to everybody again who's gone to patreon.com forward slash blarney pilgrims and if you haven't please do and with that thanks again Tony O'Rourke good luck
2: hi my name is rosa
1: i'm gonna eat um an apple Get, give Dominic and Darwin five
2: stars. Thank you.